Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today it is my delight to bring you this conversation I had with Mark Spencer, who is the Director of Public Policy at Christian Schools Australia. It's a really interesting moment, actually, for Christian education in Australia. Some of the very rights and freedoms that Christian schools have enjoyed for a long time seem to come under threat with increasing regularity. So Mark has joined me to discuss why should we care about this? Why should classroom teachers care about politics? How can we think about these issues? And how can we respond? Now, before we get to that discussion, uh, we've got some exciting news. We have a new show sponsor uh, today. It's an AI for teachers called My Teacher Aid. Now, for those in the know, this is a little bit of double dipping because it's actually a company I have founded. So my co-founder and I are working with a team of developers to build and train and artificial intelligence, especially for teachers. Let's be honest, right? AI will never replace teachers, but it sure can be a huge help to them. So if you head to myteacheraid.com, and there's a link in the show notes, you can sign up to be part of the pilot program that will launch in a few weeks. Now know this, friend, before Mark and I hit record, we prayed for you. We thank God for Australia's rich history of Christian schooling, and we prayed that by God's grace and kindness, Australian Christian education will not just have a rich history, but a rich future. Well, Mark Spencer, welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. Thanks. Great to be here, Paul. Now, for those of you who don't know you, can you tell us just a little bit about what you do in the Christian education community? Yeah, so I work with uh, Christian Schools Australia. My role is the uh, Director of Public Policy and uh, uh, part of that role involves uh, advocating on behalf of uh, Christian schools, both at a, at a federal level and also at a state and territory level, just to make sure that uh, uh, politicians uh, give us uh, continue to give us adequate funding and make sure that we have the freedoms we we need to be to be authentic Christian schools. So I work alongside uh, Vanessa Chang at AACS and, and other people in that uh, that political advocacy space. I've found your resources to be really encouraging and quite helpful. So you're on LinkedIn and that's where I follow you and see the bulk of your content. Is there anywhere else people can go to find out what you're saying and uh, and hear from you in that way? Uh, LinkedIn's probably the, the, the best uh, place to go. I, I actually tend to stay off Twitter. Uh, it's uh, not conducive in, in this space for positive conversations, it seems. <laughs> Yeah, I'd uh, to pick up threads yet, so uh, we'll see what that's like. Seems like every man and their dog is on threads. I uh, I do go on Twitter. I don't mind it mainly when I'm speaking about artificial intelligence and education. Have not jumped on threads, but we'll see how that goes. Now I've got to ask you this, Mark, because I, I'm a teacher, and in many ways, uh, being a teacher is very hard. In other ways, it's good because um, in my school, you really do have the support of the parents. Everyone appreciates your work. Your colleagues understand that it's a hard role that you're doing and you're very much appreciated by the school leadership. Now, that could be a stark contrast to what you're doing as you're engaging in the political advocacy space. You're dealing with some pretty pointy issues. You're perhaps dealing with some pretty pointy people. Tell me this. Do, do you enjoy your job, Mark? Uh, I do. I mean, who could say they, they don't when they're doing what they believe what God's calling them to do? So that's a bit of a Dorothy Dix question, but... Even talking to MPs, MPs are, you know, it's almost an Australian religion to, to bag MPs. But the overwhelming majority of MPs from, from both sides of, of the, you know, the political fence are just ordinary people who believe they have something to contribute to society. They believe they have a, a vision for what's going to make society better. 
and that's what what they're pursuing. They're actually people committed to the, the common good as they see it. Now there can be differences of opinions around that and, and the best way of doing that, but but generally most of them are people committed to you know, advancing our society, advancing what's good for our community. There are a couple of rat bags we're going to talk about, um, but you know overwhelmingly people who are committed to that 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 purpose, which is great to be part of working with them. That's right. And I think you've modelled a great Christian attitude there. Obviously, the Apostle Paul writes that we had to pray for these people, people in authority over us. And that would be one part of the Australian culture, which kingdom culture or the gospel would rebuke, where we have the tall poppy syndrome and we just love to rip on these guys. Uh, no, I have a lot of respect for our politicians and it's clear that you do too, Mark. Let's Let's head something off at the pass here because today we're going to talk about religious discrimination. Now, you're going to get a lot of people perhaps who go, well, look, guys, I'm an educator, all right? I'm in the classroom. I'm just teaching my year nine science. I don't like getting political. Why should your average teacher, Mark, care about religious discrimination laws in Australia? Well, the question I'd ask them is, do they care about their kids and do they care about the job and the work that God's called them to do? Because that's fundamentally what this is about. Um, What we're trying to do, what my role is focused on in the political space is providing that space, that freedom for quality educators like yourself and others in, in your school and in Christian schools around the country to continue to be able to do what they do day in, day out, caring for kids, providing hope and meaning and purpose, providing that gospel message, that biblical worldview, that Christian perspective on, on all they do, making sure there's the, the space to be able to do that on a day-to-day basis. That's all we're asking. Unfortunately, though, uh, that the area of religious freedom, that space to do that, is contested. There are people who don't want us to be able to preach the gospel. There are people who don't want us to be able to care for kids and, and show them the, the love of Christ. Um, they do that for you know, a whole range of reasons, but it, it has become uh, contested. It has become political. And unfortunately, politics is a numbers game. At the end of the day, unless people get involved, they're actually going to be find themselves on the losing end of this this battle it's really interesting that you say it's political there are so many christians out there and i think for good reasons because they don't want to put up barriers for them relating well to unbelievers they say well look i'm not going to get political and i can understand that impulse i really can the strange thing we're seeing recently is that the rubber band of what is considered political is being stretched larger and larger and larger and larger So back in the day, it may have just been a very select few items to do with economic policy that would be political. And you go, okay, we steer clear of that. But all of a sudden, if that rubber band expands to include things like uh, what is a human being, to include definitional questions of sex and gender, to include how we can exercise our religious beliefs, Christians, we can get caught saying the same line, I don't want to get political. But really, what's changed is not our attitude, but the list of things that have become political. And I guess in some ways, if everything is political, we Christians, we have to deal with politics. We can't just wash our hands of it. Yeah, and and what we're talking about here is not being partisan, not supporting one party over another. What we're talking about is making sure we have good policy in in this country. Uh, I don't care which party brings in good policy. If it's good policy, we'll support it. But when you have legislation as we do now in Victoria that included within the legislation is a prohibition on some prayer-based practices, 
Um, I mean, that, that's not us as Christians saying we want to get into politics. It's politics saying it wants to get into what we're doing as Christians. So, you know, we need to engage with this, uh, not in a partisan way, in a way that does reflect uh, a stance and a posture of being, you know, representatives of Christ. Uh, you know, as we represent Christian schools, we're very conscious that, that Christ is the first part of that, that label. So we want to do it in a way that honours God. We want to do it in a way that honours the people we're engaging with. But we also want to do it in a way that, that reflects and advances what's best for our society, which in, in, you know, in our belief, in our conception, includes a whole range of freedoms because we believe that the gospel is valuable for our society. The Christian Education Podcast is brought to you by Teaching in Tassie. At Christian Education National Schools in Tassie, you can make a difference. You have the freedom to express your faith and values, of course, with Jesus right at the centre. Tasmania's beautiful environment has space to breathe. We have amazing food and wine, wilderness to explore. There's an adventure right on your doorstep. There are endless opportunities. I've got to tell you, it's almost perfect. To sign up or learn more, visit teachingintassie.com.au and you'll be the first to know when there's a career available. Who knows? It may just have your name on it. Let's get back to the discussion. You're absolutely right. And in terms of modelling, engaging with people who don't agree with you or believe the same things you believe, Mark, I've really appreciated your influence uh, through things like LinkedIn, the way you've uh, written, the way you've engaged on various television programs. You're a good model and it's helpful for people like me who are also trying to adopt a similar posture to see you do that. Now, let's let's think about this here because you can often get caught up in a discussion like this and you end up racing headlong in without a clear understanding of what you're talking about. So let's get back to basics, right? Let's Let's build a foundation here before we move on. Can you just tell us exactly what religious freedom is in the first place? It's uh, very simple in, in many ways, but very complex in others. So religious freedom is, is simply the, the freedom to, to hold our beliefs and to manifest our belief. That's the language used in international law and in, in legal sense. So it's not just having a belief and believing something, but it's actually the, the right to be able to live in accordance with that belief. Now, that, that right, uh, that protected in international human rights law, is the freedom to manifest that belief, to hold that belief, to live it out by ourselves but also in community with others. And Christian schools are an ex- a great example of that. You know, we, we could, as, as Christians, uh, homeschool our, our own children, but we come together as a community of believers in a, you know, particularly a parent-controlled school, which is a very direct reflection of that. But even a, a church, uh, a school is associated part of a local church where the church has sort of found that ministry. It's Christians coming together in a corporate sense to live out and live out their faith, uh, transmit that faith, teach that faith uh, in the context of a, of a Christian school. That freedom is what religious freedom is all about, the freedom to share the gospel in that context. Now, there might be someone perhaps who had a bit of a cynical mindset. If they're a bit of a natural cynic, they might say, okay, Mark, you talk about holding and manifesting a belief. That just seems absolutely ripe for exploitation, all right? Say, I've got my own religion and I like to go around plucking the hairs off the top of people's heads. Uh, Why can't I hold and manifest that belief? Surely this religious discrimination law is just allowing us to tee up whatever nutcase beliefs we have and then we, we can enact those beliefs and perpetrate whatever we want on other people simply under the guise of a quote-unquote 
religion. What would you say to that person? And that was exactly the sort of strategy used by those who opposed the religious discrimination bill uh, that was introduced by the, the previous government uh, early in, in 2022. Um, all these fanciful examples of, of so-called religions and so-called religious belief. But the law has some very clear tests around that. The law has some very clear tests both in Australian domestic law and in international law. You can't just make up uh, your own religion and uh, um, you know, claim protection on that basis. Um, the, I won't go into all the legal ins and outs, but, but there are some very clear legal tests and that sort of fanciful religion you know, will not meet those tests and won't be protected. Another question that we might find ourselves asking here, Mark, is people go, okay, look, we understand that we have things like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and international criminal law and these sorts of things. However, these Christians are just Johnny-come-latelys, all right? What they're trying to do, one might argue, is they're trying to say, well, actually, hold on, we've got this other thing, this religious discrimination, uh, the freedom from religious discrimination, and we're going to try and shoehorn that into these basic religious documents here. Uh, Many people don't actually think that religious freedom is a human right and that we've come late to the party and we're trying to add it on after the fact. What would you say to those sorts of people? Uh, look, that doesn't reflect a history or legal uh, um, status in terms of international law. So, some of the earliest human rights instruments actually dealt with religious freedom. If you go back to the Peace of Westphalia back in 1648, which is a, a fair way to go now, not quite Johnny Come Lately, uh, that was one of the first international treaties that, that recognised religious freedom. If you look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in, in 1948, the sort of foundation piece for the the UN and its uh, human rights framework. It very deliberately includes religious freedom. It's one of the foundational, one of the fundamental human rights. It's in all the, the major international human rights instruments. The ICCPR, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, has a very clear statement on, on the, the right of freedom of thought, conscience and belief. And it actually makes that right one of the very few non-derogable rights. Now, that's just a legal legal term, but that, what that means is that it, it sets a very high bar in international law if uh, a government, if a state wants to put any restrictions on that right. So it's not only a fundamental right, a right that's been around for a long period of time, but it's also a right that has a very high bar for governments to put any constraints on it because it's just so important. My big question for you then, and we want to approach this discussion in the spirit of intellectual humility. We, One of the things I tell my students always is that I, I love to argue, I love to debate, and I think they're good Christian things to do, to have a free contest of ideas. But one of the things we want to be able to do is explain our opponent's argument in a way that they would look at and go, yeah, actually that is what I believe. So perhaps we can safely assume that there aren't politicians out there who are cackling to themselves at night, tearing page after page out of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights and throwing it on the fire and having themselves a good old uh, time. What are the arguments that people who actually, we would say, are infringing upon religious freedom? What arguments are they advancing? Uh, as I said, I don't. they surely wouldn't be there going, yeah, well, let's overthrow the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. So what are they saying? How are they justifying these, uh, what we would see as infringements upon religious freedom? And, and what we do have in international law is international law acknowledges that there are times when, when different rights can come in, into conflict. 
Um, so you know, freedom of, of speech is, is a great example. You know, freedom of speech is protected in international law, but uh, you know, vilification or hate speech, properly defined, is, is not protected. So I can't go out and you know, try to incite someone to, to take violent action against you. That, that's not going to be protected as, as a human right. Um, so you know, the human, international human rights law recognises that sometimes these, these rights are, are, need to be balanced, need to be, be juggled and, and, and weighed up. And the, the, the major way that that uh, applies, and you know, particularly in our, our contemporary society, is balancing rights of uh, freedom of association, freedom of, of speech, freedom of, of thought and conscience and, and religious freedom, all those traditional freedoms, with non-discrimination rights. So someone might say, well, um, you know, you hold these, these beliefs around gender and sexuality. Um, I don't hold those beliefs. In fact, I, I behave in a way that's inconsistent with your religious beliefs around these issues. But that's okay. My right to, to behave in that way should trump your, your religious beliefs. And international law says, hang on, hang on, there's a way of, of balancing these out. And the way that international law does that, it says, well, you need to look at the impact on the people who are holding those religious beliefs, the impact on the people who have these other rights that have been held in tension. How do we balance those out? What's the impact on one? What's the impact on, on the other? So you know, say, for example, a, a staff member, um, you know, if they can't teach in a Christian school because they don't hold the beliefs or don't subscribe to those beliefs, that's impinging upon their right to employment. So, okay, fair enough. But there are other schools they can teach in. Um, you know, there's always another alternative where they can find employment elsewhere. So if you look at balancing those rights, they can find a job elsewhere. If we can't employ staff who share our beliefs, we're not going to be the, the school, the Christian schools we, you know, we are at the moment and want to be. So if we take away that right, it has a much bigger impact upon the school, its community, and the choice of parents, they'll lose that choice. So that's the sort of juggle and balancing that's done in, in international human rights. We're looking at balancing these rights. And look, largely the contest is around the, the current cultural hotspots around gender and sexuality. Has that been redefined and how that's been politicised um, and really become the, the current cultural shibboleth? You're exactly right. I mean, that is the testing ground, isn't it, for whether or not your uh, which version of orthodoxy you are holding to is it the sort of historic christian orthodoxy is it the modern secular orthodoxy where exactly will you lay your allegiance now as i said earlier at the top of the show mark there can be good well-meaning christians who just get so squeamish about these matters they love other people i think it i think it actually comes from a good place i don't think it's fully biblically informed because i think if we're following christ wholeheartedly we have to be able to wear some uh, some frustration from other people some abuse from other people jesus tells us that's business as usual when that sort of thing is happening however out of a deep and sincere love for people we can often steer clear of any topics that will uh potentially offend or hurt others i was wondering if you're willing to go into it we had a discussion off air about a, a church program you were involved in i wanted i wanted to know if you were able to share details of that and just highlight the fact that well-meaning christians can become quite gun shy around these areas 
Yeah, and look, I have to say, if I never had to talk about this stuff ever, uh, again, I'd be very happy. Um, if I was out of a job, I'd be very happy because what it would mean is that our Christian schools could continue to be orthodox Christian schools and, and still teaching their, their beliefs and, and living out their life and caring and loving for people day in, day out. Um, this is not about not, not, not caring for people, not about not loving for people. It's about actually genuinely caring for people and what we think is going to be best for them. You know, we do it with grace, we do it with care, we do it with mercy. We recognise that there are different views, but we can still hold those views in tension and, and love and, and care for people. Um, now, when it comes to, to religious freedom, uh, we have people who, who simply don't want to be engaged in, in this space. It can be contested. Now, I can hold different views to you around a range of things, um, but it's the relationship, it's the other things you do, it's the way you actually care for people that really reflects that, that love of Christ. Uh, still recognising that we may have different views around some fundamental mental issues, but making sure we're committed to, to standing our ground and being, and being committed to protecting and preserving that which we believe is going to be the best for our society, best for the young people in our care, and provide them with the best chance of hope and a future. I mean, that's what we're wanting to teach our young people. You know, in schools, we don't, we don't have a choice around that. You know, we, we're going to be, be forced to, to take a position on these things because we need to be making sure we do equip and enable uh, our young people to go in, into this society. One of the interesting things that I find in these discussions when I've been having them with uh, Christian and non-Christian friends alike, and there's a broad spectrum of beliefs out there, is I continually find the need to reassure them of exactly the kind of communities these Christian schools are. Everyone who walks in the doors of Calvin Christian School is loved and is affirmed as someone who's made in God's image, but is also equally understood to be someone who is, uh, who is in whom that image has been marred and broken. And so everyone um, is treated with dignity and value, and we also recognise that everyone has a long way to go in a moral sense. There is no uh, unforgivable sin of which a certain select group of students are guilty of and they're treated as second-class citizens. Because I think, and yeah, you're right, the cultural issue is sex and gender, right? I think people often think, well, uh, a Christian school say that there's a student who transitions. We need to get government policy in between the school and that student to make sure that student isn't vilified by the staff isn't antagonised by the staff, isn't uh, in some way a abused or mistreated by the staff. And I understand that impulse from these people, but I, I tell them, guys, you could not be further from the truth. That is the last thing that is going to happen. Christian schools are marked by the love, care and compassion they have for their students. These are just the hallmarks of Christ himself. In many ways, uh, rather than trying to limit what Christian schools should be able to say, I think people um, should realise that these places are often the best place for students who are questioning their sex or gender, particularly because they are such loving and caring communities. Is that a truth that you find yourself often talking about with politicians or stakeholders in this discussion? Absolutely. And one of the um, probably problems that we've had uh, in, in Christendom is that, is that we do you know, hide our light under a bushel. Um, we don't actually tell people how good we are. Not that we're better than any other, other people. Let's be clear about that. But, you know, when I talk to Christian school as, uh, leaders, when I talk to Christian school teachers, when I talk to other staff in Christian schools, um, you can hear the, the love that they have for their, their students. 
Um, no one goes into the Christian schools for an easy, cushy job where they can just sit back, turn up at nine, leave leave at three, you know, not do anything after hours, and not actually invest in the young people. You know, we're talking about hardworking people who possibly could have chosen other careers, but are called to teach or called called to work in a Christian school because they want to see something happen in the lives of young people. We want we you know, no one in a Christian school, no one in most schools, I, I would think. Know, isn't there because they want to, you know, to take care of young people. So trying to you know, get that message across, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of the messages that are received by by MPs, they have lawyers and activists sort of portraying this completely artificial sense of, of who we are and what's happening in Christian schools. Uh, and the fact that sometimes they believe that is, is uh, you know, shows we haven't done our job well enough in terms of communicating who we are and the nature of our care. Um, we're not in this to hurt people. We're in this to provide that love, that hope, that, that uh, you know, expression of, of Christ's grace and mercy across all people, and ourselves included. We need that as much as any of our students. I'm really surprised by some of the stories I hear. I've got a good friend who, until recently, taught in a state school, and he had a student in his class, a primary class, that transitioned, and he was actually put in a position where he had to say to the student, because the student was asking him, what what do you think about this? What what are your views on this topic? I know you're a Christian. How do you think about this? And he was able to unpack. Well, look, I love you very deeply. I care for you. I've invested the best part of my energy this year in caring for you and your cohort of friends. I have very strong beliefs about how God made us. I believe that gender is to be received as a gift from God and not something that we change ourselves. And he was able to have that conversation. And the really interesting part, Mark, the kicker of all this, was that that student was not only able to receive that from their teacher, but later on when that student had to fill out a form and have one safe person in the school, they they listed that teacher. So I actually think that people have really missed a trick because of the uh, different messaging and marketing about uh, perhaps from those who would limit religious freedom about what exactly that looks like in a school. You know, you've got teachers who are going to give their students a hard time. Uh, that's just so far off base. It's actually the Christians in many cases I'm hearing from my colleagues elsewhere that are doing a huge amount of work in loving and pastorally caring for the students in their care. And yeah, absolutely, and and see the the presumption of, of bigotry and hatred that that is the message coming from those who are opposing religious freedom is unfortunately very constant. And if you repeat a lie often enough, it, it does get get believed. I mean the 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 stories that have been going around since twenty eighteen about uh, you know gay kids being expelled from Christian schools, which they've never provided any evidence because there is none. Um, it, it it simply doesn't doesn't happen. And, you know, again, just to be clear, we're not saying that Christians are perfect. You know, Christians can be as, um, you know, clumsy and as, uh, you know, ill-conceived in their language as anyone else. And we can hurt people as much as anyone else by, by you know, just loose language or, or, or not thinking about what we say sometimes. And we need forgiveness as much as anyone else. But that, that heart of, you know, serving uh, God and the heart of serving our neighbour is just so fundamental to, to genuine Christian faith. Um, that you know that has to be reflected in overall in, in what we do. And there are some great people outside Christendom. Again, we're not. It's not a, not a one's better than the other, but you know the, the notion that 
you know, sudden, just because you're Christian, you, you, you hate, hate people who don't share your belief. It's just such a nonsense and so incongruent with what we know is the reality of, of Christian schools. And that's why we just need to keep that freedom to be able to, to still keep loving people, still keep caring for students. There are many people who are out there feeling a big cultural whiplash because um, one of my elders at a previous church said he started going to church as a young bloke and there was great positive social capital for him going to church. Uh, when he turned about 35, it became neutral, and when he turned 55, it became bad to go to church. I've done, uh, I've had discussions with people like Stephen McAlpine and, yeah, and uh, David Reitfeldt is another one who do a good job of explaining that because it just helps us understand the position we're in as Christians, we're yes, trying to understand the Bible, but we need to understand the culture if we're going to apply biblical values and the, the gospel itself to our culture. And we can often get our exegesis right and our sort of uh, anthropology or sociology wrong, and you just end up in a pretty bad way. So my question to you, Mark, is um, you've got a teacher out there, you've convinced them that, yes, I should be thinking about this. Uh, where should they go? Who should they be listening to? How should they get chops for this conversation so that they can engage other people yeah so what we've done uh three christian school associations uh, ourselves christian schools australia uh, the australian association of christian schools and the associated christian schools out of queensland have together uh put uh, uh working on a, a website uh, mychristianschool.au so mychristianschool.au um that's the website where uh, there's information uh, around some of the challenges to, to religious freedom. There's the opportunity for parents, for, for staff to share their stories around what's actually going on in, in Christian schools. And we've, we've collected some great stories there and, and trying to share those with, with other people. And also an opportunity to contact MPs and say, look, you know, Christian schools are important to me. Um, you know, we want to make sure we are able to keep doing what we need to be doing as, as Christian schools. So that'd be a good place to, to go, and we're, we're continuing working on that, continuing to update that. You can subscribe to our email list there and kept, be kept informed uh, around the good things Christian schools are doing and what we need to be able to, to do to keep those uh, in the future. The other thing is, is really to, to talk to to your friends and your and your, your colleagues and those at church. This isn't just a Christian schools issue. It's a, a Christian schools are on the front line here. But it also goes to, to churches and the, the broader uh, ability to, to share our faith. And for those within uh, you know, secular workplaces, that's where you know, some of those people are really finding it tough nowadays um, to, to not um, get on board with some of the, the corporate um, requirements around uh, assenting to, to various uh, celebrations or even uh, being prepared to acknowledge yourself as, as being a Christian in some of those workplaces. It is tough nowadays out there. And it's actually, I believe, within the realm of God's calling in our lives to be working in our society in this way. We firmly believe that uh, God has called us to live in such a way where we should be able to live out a vivid Christian witness, a gospel-shaped life. Yet the Apostle Paul tells his protege, Timothy, um, we should be able to live a quiet life as well. So you've got that vision of living an out loud Christian life, but living within a society where that's actually not seen as a controversial or hateful thing. So we should be working within our capacities in whatever opportunity God gives us just to show people that, yes, actually Christians, uh, we're loving people. We earnestly care for those in our society and we care for our society as a whole enough uh, to actually uh, make sure that we are 
building a society where you can live as a Christian and that's an uncontroversial thing. Uh, and for that matter, you can live as a Muslim or a Jew or you could live as an atheist and that's an uncontroversial thing. We, we want a society where people are free to express their religion. And you think that's something that actually gets missed here, Mark, because if you, not to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but um, Christianity is certainly no longer in the ascendancy in its cultural capital. People in many ways are quite sick of Christians, but there are many other religions and many other cultures that are sort of within the realm of cultural favour. People, many have said that sort of Islam is in the ascendancy. We're growing in our appreciation for uh, Muslims, and that's a good thing. Understanding other people and their religion is a good thing. People often don't realise when we're fighting for religious discrimination laws, so when we want religious freedom for us, we're not just wanting Christians to be able to have a fair old swing here. It's it's also Muslims, it's also Jews, it's also Hindus and Buddhists. Do you think that's something that gets mixed uh, missed in the conversation? Absolutely, and and uh, you know Christians are the easy cultural target, and then that's why we're we're front and center of this debate. And you know we are still the the, the dominant religious group in in the country, um, uh, and uh, you know that, that's that's the reality. But one of the uh, great blessings of, of uh, working in this space is interacting with people from other faiths. Um, I don't share their beliefs; but we can respectfully disagree about that and work for a common good. And when you when you do hear stories of uh, you know Islamic women who who be walking down the street and literally have the the hijab ripped off their head, now that is offensive. That's affronting to, to me as a Christian as much as to to them as a as a as a Muslim. When you hear the stories of, of kids going to, to Jewish schools who are spat on in the street um, by by other other children, uh, particularly some of the more orthodox uh, Jewish. Uh, uh, students who you know, are, are very, very obvious in, the, in their beliefs. Um, now, now that's just offensive. That's not the society we, we, we want to live in. And even for those who don't share a, a faith at all, for them to be able to hold to that, to be able to live in accordance with that and, and you know, not feel forced to, to adopt a particular religious view, all those rights are protected when we have religious freedom. And that's what we, we want. We want the contest of ideas. We want, you know, I actually am very happy for there to be a multiplicity of, of views around this area because I believe the good news is the good news and I believe it will win out. You know, the gospel is good news um, and I want to make sure that we have the freedom to proclaim that. Well, Mark, it has been enlightening talking with you today. We're certainly very grateful for your work in the advocacy space, and you've given us a great call to action as well, which is head to mychristianschool.com.au. I'm sure people will find so. Oh, okay, you, you're shaking the head. It is just .au, is that right? Mychristianschool.au. I thought I wrote it down wrong, but I didn't write it down wrong. Um MyChristianSchool.au, so that's, again, a great call to action. If people can head there, that will be able to, uh, they'll be able to read some great testimonies and get up to date with the latest information there. Mark, thank you so much for your time today, and we wish you great success in your role in advocacy uh, in the coming year. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate that and appreciate all the work you're doing on this podcast. <laughs>